Pastor Dylan. I'm one of the uh, pastors on staff here with Pastor Paul and Pastor Caitlin. If you wonder, I talk a lot with my hands, so you might see a pink thing on my finger at some point. The only Band-Aid we had in the whole building was a Hello Kitty Band-Aid. Go figure. So you'll see, you'll see a pink thing waving around, and that's what that is. Um, before I get started this, this morning, I have a special request for each of you. Uh, every Tuesday morning, the pastors gather in this room with the leaders, and we pray for you. I mean, we go through names, we go through our directory, we draw up and we see your prayer request if you've submitted them on our website, and we just pray through your needs and we pray for you as individuals. The problem is, there's so many of you that we just don't know you all by your face. So if you would do something for me, if you take out your phone, yes, I'm telling you it's okay to take out your phone in church, and if you'd send me your most photoshopped and airbrushed picture so I can name you and send me your name too to office at lolag.org, I don't even care if it's those ugly Snapchat filters where you you got the the cat ears and the nose, like whatever. I just want to be able to connect your face to a name when I pray for you on Tuesday mornings. And I would like to know who you are. I'd like to see you. And I promise you, I'm not going to sell this to like the IRS so they can track you down or anything. I just want to see your face. We're not giving this to third parties. I want to be able to pray for you and connect with you as an individual. So if you would just send a picture of yourself with your name to office at lolag.org, that would help me and would help keep our directories up to date so we can keep in contact with you. So thank you in advance for doing that. Well, as we get started, I have a confession to make. My name is Dylan, and I'm a history addict. I'm a total history nerd. I'm hopeless. You can probably make a good uh, you know, guess at my love life based on that, so uh, non-existent. But uh, <laughs> if you're ever wondering what I'm doing with my day off, number one, it's a weird question, but number two... I'm reading history books. That's just what I do. Uh, And probably my favorite period in history is shortly after the American Revolution, there was something called the French Revolution. I read a lot about it. And there was a French scholar after the French Revolution failed who sailed to the United States by the name of Alexander de Tocqueville. Uh, He came to study the American system of government and he wrote a great book that I recommend to you called Democracy in America. And while he had a lot of great observations about the American system of government and our society, uh, he said one notable thing that made me stop and think as I was preparing this message. After studying us, he said, now that I am drawing to the close of this work of which I have spoken of so many important things done by Americans, if asked to what the singular prosperity and growing strength of that people ought mainly to be attributed, I should reply to the superiority of their women. Go ahead, say amen. Give it up for yourselves, ladies. You made us great. The reason I bring that quote up today is because we're talking about one of the most influential women in Christian history who penned the first Christmas song or the first Christmas hymn, if you will. We're going to be talking about Mary and the example she sets of faith for our lives and what it means for us. In order to do that, we're gonna be going through our series called uh, Holloways. It's our, it's our ways of, of talking about how we behave during the holidays. And you know you all get catty and you get stressed about money and you, you have all these things. And the reason we talk about the Holloways is so we can refix our attention on Jesus. So that we can remember the reason we celebrate and not get lost in the materialism of our culture. So today, to do that, we're going to be in Luke chapter one. And I'm gonna summarize from verse 34 to 45, and I'm just going to talk through it really quick, and then we're going to dive into the first Christmas song. Most of the study of the Christmas account 
is given to the night that Jesus entered this world. And rightly so, the entrance of God into human history is a very important marker for us to study. But as we know, birth carries with it nine months of pregnancy. Amma and Sienna said amen. Today, I wanna focus on a period of time in Mary's pregnancy where she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth not, belo- not long before Christ is born. In the first chapter of Luke, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and, and, she basically, and he basically says to her, you're gonna be pregnant. And Mary is just shocked and she's like, how is this gonna be since I'm a virgin? I'd be pretty shocked too if an angel's telling me something like that. And, the Holy, and Gabriel tells her the Holy Spirit's gonna overshadow her and the child will be called Holy, the Son of God. The angel also tells her 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 relative Elizabeth has conceived in her old age. God's working among this family here. And the angel sums all of that up with one sentence, for nothing will be impossible with God. If only we could believe that, a lot of our problems would go away. Mary believes the angel's word, and the scripture says she runs in haste to Elizabeth. Going in haste, that's just the Bible's nice subtle way of saying she's freaked out and runs to a friend. If angels were talking to you, you'd be freaking out too and running somewhere. So Mary takes this journey, which is about 50 to 70 miles away, and as she's on this journey, she's preparing, she gets there no sooner than she opens her mouth to say hello, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and starts speaking a prophetic blessing on Mary. She says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should visit me? In verse 42 and 43. Imagine that God speaks something to you and even though you believe it, you need the support of a friend. How many of you have been there? You know that God's speaking to you, you know that you have his will for your life, but it's scary. And that's why we encourage you to connect with life groups here. We encourage you to connect with our class called Next, which happens every Sunday morning from nine to 10 a.m. And if you're wondering how you can do that, your handout says it this morning, it was also sent out electronically. If you wanna receive updates about what's going on here, I encourage you, just grab one of those Connect cards in front of you, fill that out. We're not gonna share your info, you can turn that into anybody at the Welcome Center. Also, you could be the Elizabeth in this story. You never know who God could reach through you. You don't need to be a perfect woman. You don't need to be a perfect man. That's why we've designed these invite cards for you. You take one of these before you leave. You could be the conduit through which somebody else connects with God. And we encourage you to pick one of those up and be a part of somebody else's miracle this Christmas season. Because God knows our doubts, he knows we can't do it alone, he knows our fears, and he knows our reluctance to embrace the course he's charted for us. We each need a friend. And notice the next thing that Elizabeth says about Mary in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Regardless if you're a man or a woman here today, Mary has something to teach you and I about faith in Christ, about faith in God, rather. Continuing to follow God through difficulty and success is a rare quality, and I believe this is what the Lord wants to speak to us through this passage today, that you can be faithful in the face of your fears and your successes, and you can sing your way through difficulty if you trust in Christ. 
Now, Mary, after being faced with all this, sings this first Christmas hymn, sings this song. Let's read it together. It's starting in verse uh, 46 of Luke chapter one. I think it's verse 948 in the Pew Bibles in front of you if you wanna do that. I'd also encourage you to download version on your phone if you'd like, and that can give you some Bible reading plans so you stay in the word throughout the week. But it's gonna be uh, page 948. Again, it's Luke chapter one, starting in verse 46. Let's read that together. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his name is holy. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts." He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, even as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Father, I pray that your word would accomplish what you've intended today, that it would not return empty, but it would bear fruit in us and that we would glorify you. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. What I find interesting about Mary's Christmas hymn is that it has very little to do with her own righteousness or her own self. Now, she's an admirable woman. She's worthy of our study and consideration. That's why we study her words today. But perhaps the greatest reason she's worth our consideration is because of how highly she treasures God and his will for her life. This is where I differ from my Catholic brothers and sisters. Respectfully, I still believe they're faithful people. I embrace them as siblings in Christ. However, I think they make Mary great for her own sake. Mary's greatness is not in that she is powerful, but that she treasures God and his will for her life. Mary's not capable of praying for you and I. The scriptures say elsewhere in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there's one God and one mediator between God and people, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who's fully God and fully man and the one we pray through and the one we pray to. Pastor Paul talked about this last week for part two of our Holloway series. If you missed it, I encourage you to go to lolag.org. You can go to the message section and subscribe to our weekly podcast and you can catch up on that. My hope in all of this is as we study Mary's Christmas hymn, It says something to us and for us about God. My hope is that we just don't study the scriptures to see what they say. That's called a classroom. But that we see what the scriptures say for us. Sometimes we just study the Bible for the sake of knowledge instead of obedience. And most of the time, God wants our heart before he gives us his point of view. He wants our obedience before our understanding. He wants Mary's song before she sees. And this doesn't mean we check our minds at the door. Listen, some things, though they don't go against reason, often go beyond it. Everyone takes a leap of faith in some direction. So let's take a look at a few lines from this first Christmas hymn and talk about it together. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. This echoes really closely the prayer of Hannah, another Old Testament woman. It's almost verbatim. Uh, Most Hebrews in, in Mary's day heard the scriptures on a weekly basis just like you. 
The, the distinct thing I see about Mary here, however, is that she's not just listening to God's word every week, she's repeating it during times of crisis. You really know who you are by what comes out of your mouth when you stub your toe. I'm sorry, okay? When you hit a crisis, you know who you are. Some of you just felt conviction. And due to this, many think that Mary was meditating on the scripture, 1 Samuel 2. She's, she's taking in the prayer of Hannah here and making it her own. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And that's a strange thing to say. If God is so big, have you ever thought about this? If God's so big, why does he need to be highlighted? Why does he need to be made bigger? Why does he need magnification And if he's divine? I want you to to picture it like this. There are two ways to make God bigger. Either you can put God under a microscope and study him. That's magnification in one sense. That's magnifying for the sake of dissection, observation, and study. Or you can magnify him in the same way that you let the wonder of the stars capture your imagination through a telescope. One is simple observation, making something small big, and one is wonder, making something immense a little more understandable, pulling it into focus. That's the difference we see from Mary between understanding, study, and obedience to the Lord. And that's how this song starts. She basically says, God, you're so infinite, I can only bring you closer and into focus for people to see. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with outer space. I can remember we moved it to New York from Pennsylvania and the first thing I wanted was a space-themed room. My mom's like, okay, I'll make it happen. So she put up a mural of the Columbia spacecraft on my wall and it happened to crash six months later. So if you end up on my wall, it's not good news for you. But um, so the Columbia spaceship crashed and um, I, I can just remember, like, I was just, I'm, I'm just fascinated. Like, how does something like this happen? My, my dad uh, that year bought me, uh, my adopted dad, excuse me, bought me a uh, telescope. And we'd go outside at night and we'd look at the moon and little did I know I needed glasses because it just looked like a white blob to me. But when I looked at it through this telescope, suddenly this white circle in the sky had discernible pockmarks. It, it had craters. It had something I could see. It had something I could, I could be more intrigued by and explore. The moon took shape. Mary's Christmas song is, is like that. God's no longer this immense, far-off being who's out of focus. His glory and his, his beauty and his mercy is brought close for us to see. The, the first crater that Mary wants us to see on the surface of this moon is this. God helps the lowly. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. God says about, he says this about him elsewhere. The, um, he says though he's powerful and immense and transcendent, he dwells with the lowly. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and am also with them who are of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Christmas is a time for the lowly and the down and out. It's a holiday of hope for the discontented and the disappointed. I wonder if any of us have experienced that this morning. She knew that she'd be rejected, slandered, possibly husbandless because of God's purpose for her life. 
Mary, she knew this, but, but she knew the goodness of the God who had called her. Mary could have been bitter with God. She could have said the things you and I say all the time, like, God, how dare you? Like, wh- where was my plan for my life, God? Why would you do this to me? But she doesn't do that. Instead, she magnifies God and pulls him close for others. And that's faith. She reminds herself and everyone else that God doesn't forsake those who trust in him, especially in hard times. She reminds us through her Christmas hymn of the promise of Hebrews 13. I will never leave you or forsake you, says the Lord. Therefore, I can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? For many of us, among the laughter and the happiness of the season, we feel isolated and in pain and alone, and our days are anything but merry and bright. Can you imagine the emotion of Mary? I'm pregnant, I know it's from God, no one will believe me. But she doesn't stop there. She sings, but the magnified God can reach me even here. The first Holloway I hope you learn from this message is number one, how to look to God. How to look to God. Mary looks at God through song, through meditation on the scriptures, and through a friend. She's echoing the words of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. She's meditating on God's word. We need to do that, but she doesn't stop there. She transfers the word into song. We need the ability to take our meditations and our thoughts about God and apply them to ourselves in such a way that we sing. Mary knew her meditations on Hannah's story wasn't just about Hannah. It was about what Hannah was saying to her across the centuries about God. Listen, whether you, you know, if you meditate on these scriptures, you will gain the endurance that you need for both success and failure, for, for difficulty and blessing. You'll have the perseverance on the one hand to handle all the disappointing things, and you'll have the character to handle the good things. When you meditate on these scriptures, that's the promise. Paul said in Romans 10, for faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not this morning, what you can be confident of is if you meditate on these words, God will give you strength and he will give you faith and he will give you mercy to endure what you have to. Meditate on the words of Christ this season and you'll find what you need. Mary continues to sing. All generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And the last verses of her song say, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary puts an incredible truth in these few lines of her song. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Sometimes we read the scriptures like they're only stories for then and we do not expect God to touch us now. Notice Mary uses future and present language. Generation to generation forever. She's remembering that God spoke to her ancestors and she's confident that God is speaking to her now. My adoptive dad, uh, Brad, he's, he's not a perfect man, but there's a lot I admire about him. 
I remember I was about 11 or 12 years old and he was filling up at a gas station near my house. And a guy driving by went into a diabetic shock and passed out at the wheel, flew by him and almost hit him, went careening over a river bank and crashed into a river. And without thinking, my adoptive dad, he just, he runs over the, the river embankment, he runs down, dives into the river, and he pulls this guy out through um, his, his window and drags him to shore. And besides becoming the equivalent of Captain America in one day in my eyes, I, you know, I think he's a good example of what mercy looks like. God intervening at the right time, at the right place, in the right way, God's giving mercy to you. Same way he did it through my dad with that guy. And we read about these things in the newspaper and the scriptures in days gone by and, and we think that our lives are gonna be remarkably untouched by God. That his mercy is for others, not for us. Mary's Christmas hymn tells us, number one, to look to God, but number two, to look to God for his mercy because he wants to give it. God's not gonna leave you to slug it out in the trenches on your own. It may feel like that, but don't let your feelings be your God. Don't look at your feelings to judge whether God has been merciful to you. Imagine if our Lord did that on Calvary. Sometimes mercy looks like resurrection from death instead of stopping death in its tracks. You can be confident that it may not happen in your way, it may not happen in your time, it may not be the way you wanted it to be, but you can be confident that the mercy of God is for today as it was then. You will not be forsaken. Paul the Apostle writes about this. Romans 15, four, he says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. God gave these accounts to us. Remind us, he'll do the same for us from generation to generation forever if we trust him. Some of you are just waiting for God to pull the rug out from underneath you. Like right around the corner, God's gonna say to you, the gig's up, trade's over, I'm finding you out for who you really are. That God's gonna stick it to you somehow. That he's a capricious God. That he's arbitrary in the way that he treats you. The biggest lie that the enemy plants in my head that I have to fight against in prayer every single day is that God is out to get me and then forget me. I heard that from a pastor once and it just put to words the, the angst and the dread that I had within my soul. That somehow God was right around the corner, he was gonna say, that's enough, Dylan. I'm done with you. But what you can expect from God is mercy. It's a flat out lie. When God calls us to repentance and to faith, it's because he delights to have mercy on you. Remember the words of the prophet Micah. Who is a God like you? We sang it this morning. Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. This is really the same as how Mary begins her Christmas hymn. He helps the lowly. How does he do that? He gives them mercy. 
Lastly, Mary talks about how the Lord's gonna help us to look to him and give us mercy. Let's read verse 51 and 53. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. God loves paradoxes. I'm convinced he's just having a good laugh sometimes, but those who consider themselves to be wise are fools. Those who think highly of themselves are brought low by their thoughts. Those who are rich are at risk of poverty. Those who are hungry are near to being filled. Jesus constantly spoke in reversals of fortune. If you want to find your life, you have to follow me and lose it. Those who are first will be last. And I wonder if Mary is the one to taught him to speak taught him to speak in these ways. I wonder if she's the one behind it. Who's the greatest teacher in all of time? Jesus. Who teaches the teacher? Mothers, you have a tremendous opportunity to shape the way your children think about God. To teach them, number one, how to look to God. Number two, for his mercy. Number three, to show his strength in their weakness. It's not our ability, it's his strength. He says he has uh, shown salvation by the strength of his own arm. I know mine aren't a good representation of that, all right? I'm trying, I've, you know, I've been doing some push-ups. I really have, but it's not working. I have a really embarrassing photo for you. Hold on that for a second, Lucas, but I, I don't think you're ready for this. This is about to be me nine years ago. Are you guys ready? Do you want a drum roll? Ready, give me a drum roll. And hit it, Lucas. Look at that. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Take a picture, you can blackmail me later. For those of you listening later via podcast, stinks to be you, you're never gonna see this. Get to church, okay? Now, you know, I'm obviously joking in this picture. This is the Plymouth Plantation. I've just, that guy was not happy I was resting on him. And uh, of course, I've always had a spectacular sense of humor, so that hasn't changed, even though everything else has. You know, when you see this picture, you think somebody needs a haircut. When I see this picture, I feel a mixture of emotions that include sadness and, and thankfulness. I see a 16-year-old who is lost and searching and empty and who is constantly hearing the naggings of his Christian mother. If anything, this picture is a reminder of the faithful words through a persistent and impetuous Christian mother. Man, I hated the idea of a Christian God my whole teenage life. My mother would just talk my ear off about Christ in the home, and I would just be like, I I would find any way I could to frustrate her. I just, I hated the idea of God. And I'd argue with her, and I'd fight with her all the time, but she never stopped bearing witness. She, listen, she, she fell away from church for a while. She had her own stuff she was dealing with, but she never stopped bearing witness to Christ. Moms and dads, you, you can have tremendous influence even when it seems like there's no hope for your son or your daughter. Don't give up. Doesn't matter if they're small or they're grown, God is able. What did, what did the angel say? Nothing is impossible with God. And here we see the origins of Jesus' upside-down divine reversal thinking. Mary's singing it to him through the first Christmas hymn in the womb. You can get my ugly face off the screen. And what she's singing 
is that God shows us his strength in our weakness. The Apostle Paul said it over 30 years later in this way, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Look at what Mary's saying. This is kind of a, a summary of this. The proud think highly of themselves, but their thoughts bring them low. The exalted get cast down from their throne and the lowly get lifted up. The rich think they're full, but they're empty. But the hungry get filled and the humble get exalted. It's the, again, the precursor to Jesus' words. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What do you hunger for? What are you desiring? Put it in the words of Mary, what are you magnifying? What's lifted up in your eyes? Because what you desire says a whole lot about where you're headed. Power, prestige, wealth, many other things will deceive you. They leave your sky overcast and your telescope gets foggy and obscured. And instead of singing as you see the North Star, instead of Christmas delighting your heart because of what God has done to you, you're humming a sad tune about money and power. I'm gonna invite the worship team back at this time, but catch this next line. And as, as they come up, just look right at me. The end of Mary's hymn says this. People ultimately get what they want. Let me say that again. People ultimately get what they want. And that Christmas message is either incredibly good news or corrective news for you. Either it'll show you where you need to make adjustments or where it may be good news. Because what you long for, what you magnify in your heart is what God will grant you. Maybe the worst thing God could ever do is to give you what you currently treasure. Because if he granted it, would it be satisfying? Would it be fulfilling and merciful? Or would it be cruel and disappointing? Wealth will fail you. Don't spend it all this Christmas season. Listen, give it away. Give to missions. Give to the local projects here. Begin to test God in that way. Give instead of racking up your bill and spending on yourself. Because wealth will grow wings and abandon you. It'll fly away. And don't chase power. Listen, the, the ones who crave power end up being controlled by their own insecurity. They're enslaved. That's why we encourage you to attend next. Plug into a life team that make these services happen. Serve others and get nothing for it. Be like Jesus. One of my favorite authors is St. Augustine. And in his book, Confessions, he writes, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. O oh Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. I don't know your story. I don't, I don't know where you're at this morning. You, you might be keeping God at arm's length. You might not even claim to be a believer. You're just checking him out. I'd encourage you to take a look at the magnified God Mary is exalting. I encourage you to pray for him for the first time, to seek him, to turn your microscope upward from study into wonder. 
and let something so magnificent and immense and beyond yourself capture you. And maybe for some of you, you have no problem believing in God. You came here this morning, you believe in God. You know, you've, you've, been, a, you, you've been a good Catholic or, or you just raised with a sense that God is near you. But you have so much trouble believing he'd ever be merciful to you. When you look at God, you just sense judgment. You think he's arbitrary and he's willing to execute your life at any point. You can't imagine a merciful God. Christmas is called good news of great joy from the angels because it's good news. Because the God who could have executed judgment sent his son to bear that judgment instead, to stand in the gap for you so that mercy could continue from generation to generation forever to anyone who fears the Lord. Not just those in the covenant community of Israel, but that grace and mercy would flood out. That's the God we trust. Maybe that's some of you. Others of you, maybe you've been banging your head against a wall for so long and you're so frustrated at your own position and your own inability to change it. You can't imagine a life that's beyond this. Sometimes I think God puts brick walls in our way just to remind us that your ability, your skills, they're not enough. God wants you to trust him. He wants to show himself mighty in your strength, not in making you strong. He wants wants to be seen in your weakness so that the surpassing glory, the Apostle Paul says, does not belong to us who are just vessels, but belongs to him who fills everyone and all things. Maybe you're weak for a reason. I don't know where you're at. But you can change your song of lament into a Christmas hymn of praise. If you'll let these words of Mary into you, if you'll let them fill you, if you'll stop looking at other things under a microscope, if, you, if you'll stop expecting God just to obliterate you, if you'll, if you'll just see that it doesn't matter how weak or strong you are, if you sing that Christmas song, it says, look to God for his mercy. He delights to show you strength in weakness. I'm going to invite you all to stand this time. And what I want you to do is if you're, if you're a credential holder with the assemblies, if you're an elder of this church, if you're a leader of a ministry in this church, I invite you to fill this front altar to be available to pray for people. If you'd come at this time quickly. I don't know what part of Mary's hymn struck a chord with your heart, but here's my hope. I'm going to pray for you in just a second and the worship team is going to lead us in praise. And as they are singing praise, I invite you to come. I invite you to lay yourself down and say, Jesus, whatever you want, be it done unto me. The same way Mary said it. Would you pray with me today? Father, you see our needs. You see that we're helpless. You see our sins even, God, and you know we're in need of mercy. Would you fill this room with your Holy Spirit and would you fill each heart and vessel in here today with the Spirit of God that they would know they are loved and pursued by God. Would you 
bring us to a place, Lord, where we magnify you, where we trust you, where we depend on your strength. Like Moses said, would you fulfill it, that the Lord is our song and our strength, and he fights our battles. We only need to stand and be still. God, would you do that for us today? In Jesus' name. As the worship team comes, you come.